This program is presented by University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating for us in iTunes. try to um, bring things to closure and for all of us to start talking about um, takeaways, things that we might bring back to our campuses. So um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to moderate that. Um, and um, to start things off, I'm ju I just want to say thank you again to all of the panelists for sharing expertise and sharing perspectives and um, your knowledge and um, for sort of illustrating the tools that could be used to both uh, measure and to affect climate within um, departments. Also, I um, want to, before we start losing people, um, to thank Susan Carlson again for instigating all of this, for motivating the grant that, that generated all of these roundtables and the cross-campus um, dialogue and, and networking and connections that have been made because of these roundtables, and it's so very important. So after we spend a few minutes doing takeaways, Susan will wrap up with sort of next steps, um, because this grant is coming to an end, and we don't want this, all of the good stuff that is generated to also come to an end. We want to find a way to perpetuate it. So um, to start off this discussion about um, what are the takeaways, um, I'll just reiterate again. We have, we've heard some of the tools about how to um, investigate climate. We've gotten some sense of all the different dimensions um, that climate um, can be um, experienced and all of the different ways that it, that it is manifest and all the different levels, campus-wide down to um, departmental, down to interpersonal interactions. So measuring it, recognizing what it is and measuring it is important, but also tools um, that can be used to affect it. And the discussion is really focused on where those tools might um, might come from, how to get them to campus, where they are implemented at the departmental level or at various levels. Um, so um, I'll leave it there, but uh, maybe I'll, um, if I don't see hands going up right away, I'll ask, um, do we have enough information? What information is not? Uh, where are the gaps in information? I think also a thing to think about is um, if on campuses, if you haven't had a chance to sort of say, hey, we're doing this on this on our campus, if you're interested, let's talk so that we don't try to reinvent wheels or tools. Um, uh, independently and that we actually um, share information and, and um, maximize or be more efficient in that way. So who wants to start with takeaways? Yeah, it's not so much a takeaway, but maybe it is. Jan Hartmans, University of California, Davis. Uh, we talked about the site visits, and I know there are some professional societies like the APS and maybe a few others that do that, but I don't think many departments, whether it's in STEM or outside STEM, actually have professional organizations that do site visits. When I was chair, um, you know, I actually, I was thinking about this, but I, you know, I didn't have a, an instrument in my hands, and, and I thought maybe I'd just do it, but it didn't, it didn't happen. And so I'm just wondering whether we do have a way to institutionalize more broader reviews, departmental reviews, uh, that would be like a site visit. So uh, I, I think that I would have to say at the Davis campus, I, I don't think we do a very good job of program reviews, frankly. I think it's almost a joke. Uh, and there is nothing in those reviews about climate. Uh, 
about how the staff are feeling, about how the undergraduates are feeling. It's all generated. I know I wrote two of them <laughs> in six years as department chair. You know, department plans, department reviews. Um, I there. It is not an interactive enough process, and we don't hold chair chairs accountable for things that are not going well in their departments. Uh, so I know the provost and I have started already talking about this. We both got very engaged in this idea after coming back from the national advance meeting uh, last month. Was that just a month ago? Oh my God. Um, so I think there are ways to incorporate climate issues and responsibility for uh, ownership uh, and ownership of what the climate in your department is like. Uh, I do worry about the number problem. You know, uh, you ask the question, you know, is there a minimum number at which you can really effectively do a site visit intervention? I would say, yeah, if the number of women, for example, on the faculty is one or two or three, you can just imagine. Uh, uh, it, it does potentially create create some issues. So um, I, I'll just, I'll end there and continue the, the discussion. The help too, right? They're the ones who need the most help. Hi, I'm Susan Drangely, uh, UCLA, and I've got a couple of my deans and the uh, vice chancellor for academic personnel in the room. So I have this idea and might work for some others. One of these things we've been talking about is that uh, that the climate is local, and so the chair is the person who potentially has the most ability to uh, influence change. Yet chairs may or may not be aware of climate issues. You know, a lot of these things that we're talking about, they may not be aware of different data that's available already. Uh, from, say, for example, different student surveys, graduate student surveys, the current uh, climate survey, maybe even past uh, eight-year reviews, et cetera. One idea would be to try to bring chairs together, and you know, we do two different chair trainings every year, but what if we had another one, or what if a significant portion of one of those was devoted to climate? What is it? What's the chair's role? What's the data? by department that we currently have, if we could somehow call that together. You know, maybe even one of these theatrical uh, presentations to kind of get at those issues of uh, what does this really look like? So that was my takeaway from today. Can I, I'll just throw in that in response to the question about too few women faculty, um, in a way that, that um, while that's important and an important consideration, it uh, I think um, narrows with the process that I understand that the site visit actually goes through, which is actually to look at st students and staff. And so in a way, like there, those issues are likely to be felt by those other groups where the numbers are sufficient to provide anonymity. And so maybe the reporting doesn't have to focus on that. So I think it, it shouldn't be, they should look for the, the vehicles that could be used to get to the information and to, um, to still, um, you know, uh, limit the potential negatives of that experience. Oh, you've already got one. Hi, I'm Cindy Lurie from UC Riverside. I think for me the most powerful part of the presentation was the, the part about the the drama, and I wonder about how to how to translate that into something that that might make it really easily accessible in a broad sense. And and I know that the dialogue was an important part, but maybe a video uh, 
of, of something like a promotion and tenure uh, uh, interaction. Uh, that one on the chemistry department, I'm sorry, it's, I've seen it, so I think it was quite real. Um, Beth Simon, UC San Diego Computer Science and Engineering. Um, I really appreciate what was just said about the theater thing. Um, having just actually finished my sexual harassment prevention training a week ago with a similar theater thing, I'm going to tell you right now, the discussion has to be there. It has to, the things that the, I can just imagine the faculty saying to the characters, I think that's where it's going to be all at. Um, that said, how much? <laughs> Yeah, actually, I, I also wanted to ask the question. So I, I completely agree the interactive part is necessary, but is it possible to do a hybrid in which the performance is videoed and then you have facilitators present who mm -hmm. can at least answer questions? That's, that's one way of doing it. And the other way, we've, I've seen it done and I've thought about it uh, because it is ex it's expensive. I, I mean, I've wanted to do this for a while and I haven't had the money for it. <laughs> Uh, another way to do it is, as, as this is done, uh, people actually collect up the, the questions that keep getting asked. And then you can even have the actors answer those questions uh, in a video. I, I went to a, a thing in the Museum of Tolerance in LA, and you know they had, they had done this for a while, and they'd compiled the 20 most asked questions. And you could, you could just push a button you know, to ask any of those questions, and then the actor would answer. So I, the question is, you know, are there hybrids that might be you know, a little more affordable uh, that you think would work? Uh, and then the other question is, or could, or could we get money to actually do this more broadly? Yeah. <laughs> and make it educational. Right. Um, two, two points. Um, this is 2014, and I remember 10 years ago, uh, I was having a conversation about diversity over here and excellence over here. And when I heard, um, several people talking today about that still on the table, I was just shut. I, I mean, it's like, really? 2014. So as we move forward, we really have to be intentional and use all our resources to tie those things together in a way that we're not doing this 10 years later, right? It's still two separate things. The second one, because we are rolling out our campus climate survey here at, the, at UC, I think we have a wonderful opportunity to do what our first panel talked about, and that was to make meaning from our data and to do it in a way that brings the stakeholder, all the stakeholders together around the table for this conversation. Otherwise, it's the chief diversity officers and key people on campus whose job it is is to make this happen without all of that organic buy-in. So it really is going to take not just us, but chairs as well as students and faculty working together. And uh, I'd say deans and certain vice chancellors need to be educated as well. Hi. So Colleen Clancy, UC Davis. So I just wanted to mention that uh, this year here at the, in the School of Medicine um, through Dean Callahan's office and David Acosta, everybody that was either chair or served on a search committee underwent uh, diversity training. And part of that training was actually a theater experience that was done by video. And I actually found that to be an unbelievably moving and informative experience where we watched um, a role play of a search committee. And then afterwards, we opened the floor to um, discuss it. 
And it was really pretty amazing how differently people viewed what had gone on in that video. But I think it was the first time that I really heard the kind of open and honest dialogue in a very diverse group. And I know for me, I've thought about that so many times. And that video is actually available on YouTube for free. So if anybody's interested in that, that's something that you can share freely if you know you get in contact with us in Davis. And then I, I just wanted to bring up one more thing, and that is, you know, that we've talked a lot about leadership and how leadership needs to be really engaged in the process of climate. And I, I feel strongly that at UC Davis, there is a deep and broad commitment from the leadership. But what's much harder is sort of the trickle down into the microclimates where decisions get made, things like search committees, things like committees that choose graduate student admissions or undergraduate admissions or that determine determine programming elements. And so just thinking about that, you know, how do we do a better job connecting the goals of the administration and what's happening in practice? How do we get buy-in from the people that are really making the decisions at the microclimate level? I'm just going to take the moderator's prerogative here and jump in and actually ask Jeffrey if he might want to jump in too because um, I'll just say that the, the video that was used in, in the trainings was the one from produced by the Cornell Advance Program. and, um, and But I, my comment is more about the, the necessity um, for dialogue afterwards and for that dialogue to be something which is sort of led by people who have experience. I don't want to say that they're experts or that they need to be trained in any specific way but that they generate a certain amount of experience because in any teachable moment, right, there's always the potential that um, biases or, or um, pre our, uh, our preconceived notions get reinforced as well, right? So it's sort of a time, time needs to be managed in a way to bring people around to maximize the potential learning, poten the potential for learning there. Yes, um, we'll really appreciate these comments. And it's funny, I always get worried about the video question because I think it's so hard to answer. And the reason I say worried, which isn't particularly fair, is because I obviously believe theater is very different, but I think it's very difficult to answer the question about the merits of both. And I think what was pointed out is how powerful video can be. Um, the theater has its own particular strengths. I think what video can't do is make the um, familiar unfamiliar in a way that can surprise, uh, since video is a very literal medium. Uh, in addition, and this will sound artsy, there's no way around it, but the kind of live factor of this moment for whoever's watching this on video right now won't necessarily have the feel and the tone of this room. They won't be able to uh, feel the pause after Dr. Jones says something in response to someone else and having to look at them in the face. Um, again, that being said, uh, lastly, I think that there are strengths and challenges that always, just like there are in theater, a production will change if you can't you know, um, send Peter Pan up into the risers. You need to find a different way to make it seem like Peter Pan is flying. And as an analogy to say, if there isn't the funds, um, I think there are still a lot of other variety of means, which I know I'm at a table right now of uh, theater practitioners, and I know there are others in the room. I think there are a variety of students, uh, graduate students, as well as um, actors, who will do things for free out of the passion, out of the commitment, much like represented in this room today. So I think there's a whole lot of possibilities. Um, and um, Michigan is very expensive now, and I think that uh, there's a opportunity always to grow an idea in a theater, but I don't want to go on too long. So there's a opportunity to grow something. Sure. Let's get wobbly at the end. Hi, my name's Andrew Larratt-Smith. I'm the ombuds at UC Riverside. I've been there for about three years. 
And uh, so I hear a lot of problems and issues and concerns. And I notice that um, there can be a, a, a real focus and emphasis on issues of liability, um, concerns about litigation, compliance, that sort of end of the spectrum. And there's a lot of attention there because I think there's concern about loss to the, to the university. But my sense is, and it's, it's purely, I don't have any sort of data to back this up, and maybe this is the challenge for you, <laughs> is that these issues of climate are actually much more costly to the institution than, than the other, than the, the compliance issues, although those are significant and important as well. And so that's a question is, is there a way of being able to sort of clarify or, or articulate how much that cost is? Because that could be able to drive attention to it if there's a, a way of articulating the cost, not just in terms of dollars, but in terms of the mission of being able to research, teaching, and service. What are the costs that are being borne by not pro giving the proactive attention to, to issues of climate? 